So you know that Japanese women have exquisitely low risks of breast cancer. No. When they move to the United States, their risks are exactly the same as American women, which is one in eight women will get breast cancer. Failing. 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 We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I'm super pumped to have... Hi. Hi. I love that you just said hi. To have Reka Chaudhry. Now, for those of you listening, this is going to be a mouthful, but it's important that you hear this. She is the Associate Professor of Medicine and Neurology in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine, which is... I want everybody to know that because we're going to focus a lot on today, hopefully around cancer and health, etc., Mm-hmm. So welcome. I'm so happy to be here. So um, I heard Reka at uh, Integrative Health. What do we call that? Conference? Yeah, the Integrative Wellness Symposium. Was it symposium. a symposium? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Through University of Cincinnati mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago. And, and I should also say yes. I am faculty. In the, Good job. I should say I'm faculty in the Integrative Medicine Center. Oh. That would be important to We need to, to give say, them a plug. Right? We need to give them a plug. That's a yes. really important plug. Yes. We forgot about that. Yes. Good, I forgot good. about that part. <laughs> that's like why I'm here. So. Right. That's right. like our right. purpose. Right. Yeah. So we should give them a plug because they're a wonderful center and they're doing great things. Uh, where can? What's the website for that? Do you know what it is? I don't, but I think you could probably Google Integrative Medicine University of Cincinnati and find it. And find it right away, yeah. So when I heard you speak, well, first of all, my friends um, attacked you so that you would sit at our table. (laughs) That was really funny. I told my sister, I I told my little sister, I called her and I said, it kind of felt like high school, like where they were like, will you sit at our table? Yeah, and I'm like, totally. sure, I will. I you were like I a popular me. girl. <laughs> yeah, for once. I was all, the girl, all of my friends were like, oh, you missed her speed, her talk, and she's sitting with us. I was like, great. And then the second you started talking, a friend looked over at me and she goes, oh, you're going to get her for the podcast, aren't you? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I am. I'm already working yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you for being here. Yeah, today. no, it's, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Okay, so um, first of all, maybe give us a, just a little bit of background about you. I love to dive into people's history. Where are you from? Tell me about your family. So I'm Indian. Yeah. Uh, my parents are Indian. Okay. I was born and raised in Cambridge, Ohio, which is southeastern Ohio. Okay. Um, very, like, r- very rural. Okay. It's about a town of 15,000, the closest big city it's probably Steubenville, yes, which is about an hour east. Where's Portsmouth? Portsmouth is an hour south. Okay, so Athens is an hour south. Um, John Glenn was born there. That's our claim to fame. Nice, and it's about an hour and a half east of Columbus. Okay, so you know we used to drive to the mall, the Reynoldsburg. You know the mall that was like the big thing because we didn't have a mall, we didn't have a movie theater, we didn't have anything. Yeah. So I grew up um, very rural. I didn't know any better. Um, um, and then after that, uh, went to a six-year medical program in Rootstown, Ohio. So what you do is you get accepted into medical school out of high school, oh. and you do two years of college and then four years of medical school instead of doing the regular four and four kind Got of. It. They take your high school grades and apply that to medical school. So that was interesting because um, <laughs> you go to college, you go to medical school with the people you went to. Uh, you went to you go to medical school with the people you went to college with. Right. That's so that crazy. That's kinda, a long that period of time. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. crazy. 
And then I trained at University of Cincinnati. I did internal medicine residency at University of Cincinnati for three years. And then after that, I did my fellowship in hematology oncology at Carmanos Cancer Institute in Detroit. Okay. And then we moved to Toledo, and I practiced there on the on the faculty we, there. My we, husband and I. Okay. We moved did to, you meet him in medical he's school? He's from too? Toledo. Okay. I met him because I I was two years younger than everybody else. Yeah. You were the baby. So I met him. He was a third-year medical student, and I was a resident. I can say that now because we're married, and it's years later. <laughs> but at, at the time, we kept it kind of yeah quiet on the down low. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind wait, of wait, wait. anatomy. Wait, was he older than you or he was younger so than you? He was the I'm same sorry. age as me, yes. but he was a medical student still and I was a resident. Oh, got it. Okay. See, this, right. I always get the resident. Yeah. Da, 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 I was a resident okay. and he was a medical student. We're the same age. But, yeah. But you were further yeah, along. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was further along. So that was, kind of, like, we'd see each other on rounds and we'd be like, you know, Hi. try not to acknowledge each other mm-hmm. kind yeah, of I situation. It. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um, how and then he's from, so he's from Toledo. Right. So that's why we moved to Toledo after that. Okay. Um, I have two other siblings. Um, my brother is a cardiac critical care anesthesia attending at Ohio State. Okay. And he has a real, real interest in this as well. He's an, he's going to do his full first full Ironman, and but his interest is more cardiovascular. So my interest is cancer. His more interest is um, cardiovascular and diet. And he's created a Ross Fit program at Ohio State because all the nurses are very unhealthy, even though they work in this cardiac unit. And all yeah. the staff in general are very unhealthy. So he's created a, like it's called Ross Fit. It's a Ross Heart Hospital okay. where they have meditation and they have exercise and they get points for it and things like that. So he's very into it too. My sister's the only normal one. She's a child psychiatrist. <laughs> She's a child psychiatrist at Cleveland Everybody's Clinic. in medicine though. Yeah, was my, your dad a My physician? dad was a cardiologist. He retired. And my okay. mother was a psychiatrist as well. Oh my gosh. I know, yeah. So multi-generational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, you guys moved to Detroit. We moved to Detroit. I I did my fellowship in Detroit. He did his residency in Toledo. And then we thought we were going to live in Toledo for the rest of our lives because that's where he grew up. That's where his family was. Yeah. And um, he actually got an interesting job opportunity from Beacon Orthopedics. Um, And so he does total joint orthopedic surgery there at at Beacon Orthopedics. And he really loved the job. And it's a great organization. Beacon Orthopedics is a fabulous, very – very well-trained doctors, uh, really just a machine in terms of orthopedics. Yeah. And so um, we moved down here, and I started in Toledo. I was doing lung cancer and malignant hematology, which is like leukemias and lymphomas, Okay, which was an interesting um, position because I don't smoke, and I'm young, and mm-hmm. I'm not a man. So lung cancer was kind of like, eh. You know, yeah. I, I, I didn't relate that much to the lung cancer patients. And then then I was doing malignant hematology patients, which generally do really well. So leukemias and lymphomas, they generally do really well, and it's a very curable disease. Okay. When I moved here, I wanted to be part-time. And so they said, well, do you want to do brain tumors? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Brain wow. tumors are – it's a big change for me. Yeah. But I started doing them, and that's where I kind of um, – that's where the transition started happening for me. So this is about 2010. Okay. Uh, and I started doing brain tumors. And as you know, glioblastoma is what John McCain had. Okay. Um, it's what Bo Biden, we think, had. Okay. Um, it's Kennedy. Ted Kennedy had. It's an awful tumor. There's no um, 
cure? Risk factors for it. There's no cure. There's no risk factors. I mean, there's no risk factors like not smoking or anything like that that predisposes you to it. Right. Um, and so one day you're feeling fine. The next day you have a seizure and you have a, this ter- terrible brain tumor. So I started doing it. I started to get really anxious, right? I started to... Uh, um, you know, I told my husband to up his life insurance and, you know, because I always thought that something could go wrong at any minute. And I was never an anxious person. If you talk to people from like college and medical school, they're, they're like, like no, you're wasn't. like the most laid back person that we know, you know. And I developed this anxiety de- dealing with these patients that are, you know, have done nothing wrong in their lives. You know, they've never smoked. You know, they did all the right things. And all of a sudden they had a brain tumor. That was, you know, just took away their identity because, you know, cognitively they decline and mm-hmm. their memory, they lose their memory and things like that. So um, my husband was like, you got to get out of this. I mean, you got to stop doing this because it's, it's really messing you up. Yeah. And I was watching Forks Over Knives. Have you seen Forks yes, Over Knives? Yes, I watched it after you told me. Okay. What did you think? I loved it. Right. Like, I totally get it. Right. And what a big habit change. Right. Huge, right? Like, right. Like, cognitively, I get it. Logically, I get it. But am I still eating the same foods? Yes. Right. It's a journey, though. It is a journey. I mean, I'll tell you, I remember when I saw it. It was like a cold afternoon. We were in this rental house. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch a movie on Netflix. Yeah. You know? And I put this forks in her eyes. What is, what is that about? And I started watching it. I'm like, no way. No way. Because, you know, it's intuitive that if you eat badly, don't exercise, you're going to have heart disease. Right. right? We've, we've been trained. Our mind has been trained for that. Right. It's intuitive that you eat a lot of sugar, you eat badly, diabetes is in your future. Right. The whole metabolic syndrome, in quotes. But I don't think there's an intuitive connection between lifestyle, other than smoking, yes. and cancer. Right? We don't intuitively say... You know, you better not eat that steak or you're going to get cancer. No. Or, you know, we don't make that connection. That's why it was so intriguing to me. So I was like sitting there watching and I'm like, no way. This movie's just all, it's just all BS, you know. So I'm like, this movie's just all mm, whatever. And um, then I started reading. And I started, I went back and looked at actually Dr. Campbell's studies, original work. Yes. And I looked at Dr. Esselstyn's work. And then I started reading more and more you know, other people's work. And I was like, Was Campbell the one that grew up on the farm? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay. Esselstyn's at Cleveland Clinic. Okay. Campbell's at Cornell. All right. And I invited him down for Grand Rounds to speak at our Hemonc Grand Rounds. Wow. Our hematology on Grand. And he came. I was like shocked. And yeah. it, was, it was crazy. The whole room was filled with non-physicians. Really? Because so many people had seen the movie. Yeah. And they were so excited. To see him. Yeah. And we filled and the him. whole room, right? And um, he's an amazing man, too. He's so humble. He's just like he is in the movie. You know, he's just he's like, I'm just a scientist. I don't make the food. I don't do anything. I'm just telling you what the data is. Right. Right. So then he was making another movie, Plant Pure Nation. Okay. And then that's the sequel to Forks Over Knives. Okay. I'm in it for like five minutes. Oh, that's right. You told me that. Yeah. I'm in it for like five minutes. But it's not as good because I feel like it's more – it's more the political aspect of oh. doing it. And what was really intriguing to me with Forks Over Knives, as compared to all the other movies that are out there, yeah. is it's very science It is science They have a little bit of politics when they talk right. about the food pyramid. Right. But right. That's a, that was about it, right? right? You have to be kind of awake to watch it, right? To follow kind yes. of the, the studies in science. Yes, you do. But they also did a really great job of 
telling the story mm-hmm. of people behind mm-hmm. it with mm-hmm. the cases that they shared. Right, right. I thought that was really, yeah, I thought that was really important too. I do too. Right, because you don't think you can do it until you see somebody do it, right? right? So then I started, I started looking into it and, you know, the data is actually astounding. Okay, give us a couple data points <clears throat> that so, stick out, like two or three. So there's a there's a study called the EPIC study, which is the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer. It's a prospective study of 500,000 patients. So can okay. you imagine 500,000 patients? You know, uh, OSU Stadium, the Buckeye Stadium fits about 100,000 people. That's like five times the Buckeye Stadiums. Imagine wow. like five Buckeye Stadiums like lined up, you know. Uh, 500,000 people. It's a huge study. We would never be able to do that in this country because they have a, you know, they have a collaboration. All the countries in Europe have a con- collaboration, about 23 centers, 10 European countries. Wow. So they did this study, and it's early in its its data. But one of the things that they definitely came out with was that processed meat is as dangerous as cigarette smoking. And the <gasps> data is unequivocal. unequivocal. Processed meat is as dangerous as cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. And based on that is when – I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, they, it was the headline. The World Health Organization came out with a statement that said – the processed meat is as dangerous as cigarette smoking. No. And they came out with that statement, and it was in the Inquirer, and it was, like, on the radio and all this stuff. And people were like, I don't believe it. I'm like, if the World Health Organization makes a statement based on this study, then it's I mean, pretty the, data, valid. the data is pretty valid. Um, Rika, does the the processed meat, is that, like, sausage, turkey, ham, sausage, salami, anything that's preserved. Okay. Right? So anything that's preserved. And they think that's the case because of the preservatives. Okay. Right? So not the animal-based protein, what, which was what Forks and Morbid Knives was talking about. It's more the preservatives of the process. Got it. Okay. So after that, but so I tried to show that, share that study with my colleagues, right? Yes. And they're like, eh, I don't know. You know, if the, is the guy who's eating hot dogs, is that the same guy who's the bus driver who's smoking? Even though they stratified for all that, yeah, people didn't believe it. Because in oncology, we like clean data. So we like to take half the patients over here with breast cancer and give them drug A. Yes. And half the patients over here and give them drug B. And we want like it to be blinded. The patients don't know which drug they're getting. Right. The physicians don't know which drug they're getting. Right. We like clean studies. So that's really hard to do with diet. I know. Right. I mean, how do you do that? Like, you know, you're going to... Not eat this diet, but we're not going to tell you what diet we're getting, right. right? You know, so there was a large study. It's called the PREDIMED study. It's P R E D I M E D, PREDIMED okay. study, and it was in Spain, and it was seven thousand participants. So a, a pretty large study. They randomized patients to a Mediterranean diet plus olive oil, okay, a Mediterranean diet plus nuts. And then a low-fat control diet. Okay. And Mediterranean diet includes fish. Yeah. So there was some fish, but majority of it was fruits, vegetables, whole grains, a little bit of fatty fish. Okay. Like um, mussels, salmon. Okay. Fatty of fish. Very limited poultry and cheese. And then exquisitely limited sugar and red meats. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Mm -hmm. then so they gave them – and they gave them jugs of olive oil to take home to chug or do whatever they wanted with it. <laughs> they randomized them, randomly allocated them. So a computer picked them and said, you go here, you go here, you go here. And the purpose of that study was to look at cardiovascular disease. And okay. it did show that there was a 30% reduction in cardiovascular disease, which aspirin does the same thing. 
Okay. So they were very impressed with that. But one of the things that they looked at, they had a 62% reduction in the new cases of breast cancer in the Mediterranean plus olive oil arm. 62% reduction. So let's think about that. So you have a Wall Street Journal article that comes out tomorrow. Yes. That says there's this pill that your your physician can prescribe that will lower your risk of breast cancer by 62%. And, and, I mean, you're going to be, like, on the phone with your primary care physician. You're going to be on the totally. phone. Yeah. Give me this pill. Give me it. And it's harmless, right? It's a Mediterranean okay, diet. Okay, so why aren't – I mean, you do it. I yeah. mean, I know you do. Yeah. But why why is it a struggle for me? Well, let's first ask why is it a struggle for physicians to accept this? So I presented this at our hematology oncology grand rounds, and everyone was like, yeah, no way. And they were like – wait a minute, what was the number needed to treat? And what was, you know, because they're looking at it from a toxicity standpoint. Because, what does you that know, mean? So what, when, when we look at chemotherapy drugs, yes, we're always worried, what is the risk benefit? Okay. So these chemotherapies are very toxic. How much benefit are you getting? But I'm like, it doesn't matter. Because there is no, there's, there's no, no risk. toxicity, right? There's yeah. no risk with you know, chugging olive oil. You know what I mean? Like, there's no risk with there's no risk with this diet, right? So, um, I think that's how, as physicians, that's how we're what we're used to looking at when we look at drugs. Yes. So, and then why don't why don't patients believe it? I think I think a lot of patients do. I think they just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've seen the data. Have you ever seen that study? I no. Mean, it's a it's a huge study. There was an article about it in the New York Times. I mean, it's it's a it's a large study, but I don't think um, we just don't know. We just don't know the data, and that's my passion. That's my yeah. I want to get out and show this data to people because I think we think that lay people, non physicians, can't understand that data. Yeah, and they don't need that. But I think when you see that, you're like, wait a minute, sixty two percent reduction? That's crazy. Right. So are you more focused on getting that data out to physicians first? I do both. Or Okay. So I do both. So I, uh, I gave a visiting professorship at the Cleveland Clinic to their Department of Psychiatry to talk to them about the mind and how that affects cancer. Right? Okay. So, and so that – I'm trying to talk to physicians, but I'm also t- trying to talk to patients – with cancer and patients who are trying to prevent cancer. Okay. So when you were working um, in neurology, did you then switch? No. So to, because we talked about how that was such a struggle for you. Right. So when I was doing neuro-oncology, so brain tumors, um, no, I'm still doing them. Okay. But I've added melanoma, which okay. is a little bit better. People do a little bit better. Um, and the other thing with brain tumors is, is that now I feel like, and this is just my take on life. If I do everything right, if I eat the right diet, if I, you know, meditate and man- manage my stress, if yes. I exercise, then the rest is God's will, right? Yeah. The rest is out of my control. Right. I only want to do what's in my control. And that has really helped me, um, help me and help a lot of my patients, you know? So with a patient that has a brain tumor, do you give any um, treatment around or give any prescription around mm-hmm. food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do? Yeah. So I have an investigator-initiated trial, so, which, so I wrote the trial. That's what that means. Okay. Um, with ketogenic diet 
and what brain does that tumors. Mean? What does that mean? So ketogenic diet is a very low-carbohydrate diet, okay. a very high-fat diet. Okay. Now, is that what I recommend to people? No, because I think we need to start talking about diet like we talk about drugs. So a diet that lower if you want to lose weight, yeah. you may have a different diet than if you want to prevent cancer. Or you may have a different diet if you want to prevent colon cancer versus breast cancer, right? Wouldn't it be great if we had a diet that made your skin look younger? Well, there is. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Yeah, well, so there is some data with probiotics, okay, that they actually this is a this is a blinded study where they took patients and they put them on probiotics and then the dermatologists were blinded. The patients were blinded, and they did little biopsies, and they yeah. actually saw genetic changes with the probiotics in their skin. Wow. Yeah. So there is, I mean, if we eat a healthy diet, which is mainly fruits and vegetables, yes, almost no animal-based protein, sugar, or or dairy, um, there is data to show that. Okay. So, uh, so after you spoke, the biggest question I had was like, what does your daily diet look like? Mm. Like what, you know, what do you make? What do you eat? Yeah. So I'm doing intermittent fasting and we talked yeah. about that a little yeah. bit that day, right? Totally. So I do intermittent fasting. I think the data. Can we talk about intermittent yeah. fasting too mm-hmm. and the benefits of that yeah. too? And what is intermittent fasting? So the data mean? is limited. The data that we have from intermittent fasting is a lot of older data from okay. monks and, you know, the kind of religious fasting. The intermittent fasting today in the cancer world is really limited, the data in human in humans. There's lots of data for weight loss um, with intermittent fasting. But in terms of cancer, and that's my expertise, I'm not a weight loss expert, expert um, is limited. However, there was one breast cancer study where they looked at women who only fasted for 12 hours versus women who didn't fast for those 12 hours. And they had much better cancer outcomes and tolerance of chemotherapy. Hmm. So... I mean, we. So, what are the benefits for you with intermittent fasting? And and let's define intermittent fasting. So, you fast for sixteen hours and then you eat for eight, right? That's correct, and that's overnight too. People always ask me that. I'm like, yes, of course, that's overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I, my reason for intermittent fasting, I have diabetes in my in my family, and I brought up that I was Indian in the beginning, and you know, there's a new movement um, that. Indians and Asians in general should have a lower BMI to be considered healthy, lower sugar levels to be considered healthy because why? I don't know. They think that they they are having heart attacks and diabetes at lower levels of weight and things like that. So there's a huge movement to test at a lower BMI if you're Asian. Hmm. So my mother had diabetes um, and um, my family has diabetes. And so my intermittent fasting is really for more diabetes control. Um, I recommend it to my patients for cancer control and weight loss. Um, So I don't, I drink black coffee, water, or tea. I drink a lot of teas in the morning. Yeah. And then for lunch today, I had a salad with corn, black beans, uh, cucumbers, red peppers, no cheese, um, but I had a salad. That was hard. Yeah. The, the, the dairy part. We talked about that. The yeah. dairy is hard. Dairy is hard. I know. And then um, I had uh, I had something else. Oh, I had some nuts, cashew nuts, and I had an apple. Okay. So for lunch today. And then for dinner, I'll probably, I don't know what I'll have to, for dinner tonight. Usually I have um, a 
cup of brown rice with whatever spinach mixed in or um, salt and things like that. Okay. Um, this is going to be a random question, yeah. but I've been thinking about it. Yeah. So I feel like when I pull things out of my diet that I feel like are my treats, they're, you know, when I'm like n- need some comfort food or something like that, I go to that. And it always has to be something that's super shitty for me. Right. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, how do I shift that thinking? It's very hard. So um, Dr. Furman talks about this a lot. Um, and that's and Dr. A, Furman. Is Joel Furman. I'm sorry. Joel Furman is Eat to Live. So that's his product and that's his book. Um, what he talks about is that that food is as addictive as cocaine and or as alcohol or as smoking. smoking. So when he brings this up in podcasts or in his book, he say you won't you won't he says you won't go to a cocaine addict and say, oh, you just deserve a little treat today. (laughs) Just go, you know, go smoke that cocaine. Right. Right. And so we see it as a treat. A cocaine addict sees a cocaine as a treat. Yeah. An alcoholic sees a drink. A glass of wine a, or as a boozy treat. Is, right. Yeah. Right. And you know that people that are not alcoholics can be like, eh, right. I'll have a glass of wine or I won't have a glass of wine. Right. right. So what I've been working with my patients, and um, I don't do this because this is not my expertise, but a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. So, you know, the thought modeling it. So that's just your thought that you want. You can change that. Right. You know, and I've been working with it myself, too. What are you um, working on it for? Like the, exactly the same thing. The, I am starving. I need that right now. Right. But do you really need it? I mean, the point is you haven't eaten since morning. Right. Yeah. You are starving. Yeah. But you can wait five more minutes and get to a normal food source. Right. Right. You can wait instead of stopping at you know, the 7-Eleven downstairs and getting, you know, <laughs> the getting... The vending machine Right, for getting, me. instead of getting going to the vending machine, I can wait five more minutes to get home and make something that's filling my body with nutrition. So, you know, you inspired me to cut down on my Diet Coke. I know. I'm and, so proud of you. Yeah. I really am. Well, it was I a really cut am. down, and now it's... This is day four. Uh, today at about... It's very hard. It's so it's hard. hard. Today yeah, at 4 o'clock... we talked about our mutual addiction. Yes, yes. At 4 o'clock, I went over. I'm talking to the guys in finance and gals. Oh, and I was like, oh, all I want to do is drink a Diet Coke. I know. And one of them, he's adorable. Kevin, this is a shout out to you. Kevin was like, you just need something, another adrenaline boost. Because right. that's what you... Don't you get that boost? For, he doesn't know. I yeah. mean, I think he... he yeah. Maybe he knows. Maybe you do know Kevin. But, um. But I think there is something to that. I get that slight like high or boost when I when I get it, but mm-hmm. it's it goes away. Mm-hmm. So how do I get another boost or another high mm-hmm. versus that one, right? Or do I just sit with it? Yeah, and not need the I boost think, or I high. Think, and so there is a podcast. Yeah, not not to take away from your podcast. No, no. there's a podcast called promote. Katrina Ubell. Okay, K-A-T-R-I-N-A, like the Katrina, like the hurricane, yes. Ubell, and it's weight loss for busy physicians. Like but, U- Right. B-E-L? Yeah, U-B-E-L-L. Okay. But she also has a life coach that she uses, um, I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. That's okay. But anyway, one of the things that she teaches is that we're just not comfortable today with pain, not even pain. With just being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. 
I know. Being, we're not comfortable being in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Whether that be physical or emotional or whatever. And and so, we're doing this whole discomfort challenge. And so right. that's been my challenge. Right. That's But man, that's, cutting it totally out. And then, I don't know, day four has been hard. You know, I haven't had a Diet Coke for, I recently hit, you know, so I was in the hospital recently. Yes. So um, I haven't had Diet Coke for a month now. Seriously? Yes. <gasps> Good job. We I just know. High five. High five. High five. That is so That's awesome. That's been my main Do you crave weakness. it? No, not anymore. How long did it take? But you were Two in the weeks. Ho- Two weeks. Really, before I stopped really wanting it. Yeah. So I yeah. need to give myself two weeks. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dr. So- Furman says six months. It takes six months for your taste buds to change. But oh, two weeks, I think, I know, I know. But I think, I think that for me it was two weeks, but, you know. But I shouldn't give up because if it's sick, I have to at least push it through for six months. Yeah. I think you can do it. So when you're pregnant, did you drink caffeine? I never have gotten pregnant. So okay. I never had to, okay. I never so, had to give it up. So when I was pregnant, I gave it up. Only occasionally, like if we'd go out and everyone's having wine and stuff, I would have yeah. my Diet Coke. Right. right. Well, you know, that's yeah. what, because I'm not drinking. So for me, right. that was my substitute and hence the soda addiction went up. Right. right. Well, you know then that, you know, you always replace it. With oh, something. totally. I replaced it. So now we're going to replace it. You can't replace it. You can't replace it. Fizzy water. <laughs> Not that exciting. <laughs> well, dairy for me has always been very hard too. And dairy, if you talk to Dr. Campbell, if you talk to Colin Campbell, he says, we asked him straight out. We're like, what is the worst thing that you can eat? And he says dairy, which was kind of difficult for me because I was like, <laughs> the meat part I can give up. Yeah. You know, I can do that. Yeah. The dairy was difficult. And um, for a long time, I wondered if it's even kind of necessary to do that. You know what I mean? To give up dairy completely. And do you feel like it's necessary? I think that there's a lot of data coming out right now. That even a little bit of animal-based protein increases the risk. There's population studies that look at that, um, but that has to be your own choice, right? That has to be the individual choice. These are studies when thousands and thousands and thousands of people, hundreds yeah. of thousands of people. Yeah, I think that we need to make our own choices because if you give up dairy and then you replace it with diet coke, I know. You know what I mean? What, it's too. It's what's the better evil there? I would say Diet Coke is more evil than dairy. I would, too. I totally. would. I would. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we got to talk about that. Right. What else did you want to talk about that we needed to? I want to talk about stress reduction a little bit. Okay. Because I think that – so I've done the diet thing, right? Yeah. Like I know. Everybody knows, right? Everybody knows. Wait. Foods. Make the connection because you and I talked about this. Like you were like, when we think about failure, right? make that connection with the food and the failure right. thing and then let's move to stress reduction. Right. So when I first started, became a physician, that's what I did. I mean, I was one of those physicians. You'd have cancer and I'd be like, just eat the ice cream. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Right? I'd be like, just enjoy your life. You know, just enjoy it. And now I'm kind of embarrassed that I was one of those people. You know, I'm one of those people that used to poo-poo me. Like, you know, when I'm when I'm in co- conference and we present a tumor and then everyone goes, oh, Reka, so what are you going to recommend? Like a plant-based. I mean, they're making fun of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm kind of embarrassed that I was one of those people, right? Like I, that I was one of those people that really didn't think that lifestyle changes can make a difference. 
And, you know, it doesn't even make a difference at, you know, you lose weight. So obesity is the number one cause of cancer, one of the, one of the number one causes, one of the highest causes of cancer. You definitely change, um, and we can talk about this when we talk about stress, but you definitely change your immune system reactions, okay? But one of the things that we never talk about is we talk about telomeres. So telomeres are the caps on your shoelaces. They're the caps on your DNA. Okay. And they keep your DNA healthy from unraveling and mutating. So there was a large study, a moderately sized study, where they looked at prostate cancer patients and they randomized them to a lifestyle arm where they had to practice stress reduction, they had to exercise, they had to eat a plant-based diet, and they had to um, practice meditation. Okay. There was another arm, which was just a control arm. And the prostate cancer did better in the lifestyle arm. But then they looked at their telomeres on their chromosomes, yes. and their telomeres got longer. Wow. We know lo- runners have longer telomeres. So they were protecting their chromosomes more. So we're not only making a change at a weight level, at a macro level, so you're losing weight. We're not making a change at an immune system level, a cellular level. We're making a change at a genetic chromosome level. So you know that Japanese women have exquisitely low risks of breast cancer. No. When they move to the United States, their risks are exactly the same as American women, which is one in eight women will get breast cancer. And it, and and it's the difference in diet. It's, well, it's something here. It's right. diet, exercise, stress. They don't have as much family no. around. We don't know what it is. But we do know that their risk of breast cancer becomes the same, even though they're genetically different people, the same as Caucasian women, which is one in eight. So there must be some connection connection of promoting the DNA to create more cancer or something like that. Do you have a cool story to share um, with a patient that maybe prognosis was really poor, but after they did food, meditation, <laughs> tell I a cool a, story. I have so many. I have so many. I know, but just tell so one. I have a really cute guy that had glioblastoma multiforme, and he was like 80. That's the GBM. That's the bad brain tumor. Thank you. And he you. had he was like 80 years old. Okay. And he was living with his um, housekeeper. His wife had died, and they were living together now. They were a couple. Oh, cute. And he, wa- he walked into my office. He didn't walk into He was in a wheelchair in my office. And I'm like, you know, we're, this is really bad. Yeah. You know, it's he doesn't have long because he's such a – he's so old. He has such a poor performance status. He's got such a bad tumor. I mean, I was really, and he said, "No, Doc, I'm a I'm a cyclist," and I was like, "Okay, you're a cyclist." You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you, I, you're not going to. And so he started right. cycling on a stationary bike for like five minutes a day. And I told him, I said, "There is data to show that exercise improves brain tumors." Yeah. And then he came back in a like six months, and he's like, "I'm cycling ten miles a day." I was like, mm, okay, whatever, right? And then he got to the point where he was cycling the distance on a stationary bike, like what would be the, you know, the distance um, for Pelotonia. And like he was doing Pelotonia with the people while on his stationary bike, right? Oh, Peloton. Because, yeah, yes, the, yes. Right, he was doing like 100 miles. He was doing 200 miles. He was doing all this stuff. And he lived for like four years, which is unheard of with this tumor, unheard of. I would have never predicted. If I would have been a betting woman, I would have bet. The odds against him living that long were incredible. How was his diet? 
his diet, he was, well, that was the other thing he did. He ate a lot of asparagus. He moved to a completely plant-based diet. He, he did. ate a lot of asparagus. And this is the funny part of the story, this poor man. His pee smelled really, really bad. Yeah. And we had to collect his pee for for, for the, the drug he was receiving. He was receiving a drug called Avastin. And we had to collect his pee every two weeks. And the nurses were like, Ew. I, I am not. He's the sweetest man, but I cannot be his nurse. Oh, my God. Stop. Yeah. So, but he lived, I mean, he totally beat the odds. Now- if you tell my colleagues that, they'll be like, well, you don't know it was exercise. Yeah. But I mean, but you know, he was in my office in a wheelchair, you know, looked horrible. And he, you know, he ended. Yeah. So I think that we all have those stories, yes. right? Every oncologist has that story. You know, I only ate carrots, my eyes turned orange, and I, I was cured from my cancers. But I think that's a wrong way to talk about it. Okay. I think it's important to do patient stories because sure. people need to relate. They need to hear stories. But the data. The data is so important. If we want to convince physicians and if we want to convince people out there that this is real science, this yeah. is not just, you know, this is not just frou-frou medicine. Right. This is real science. This okay. is real science. And these are real changes, not just making you feel better through your chemo, but making your cancer cells disappear. Amazing. You know? yeah. All right. Tell us about the stress. So stress is very – so, I again, I've done the diet stuff, right? I know what to eat. How getting there is more difficult. It's a journey, right? Like yeah. getting there is, you know, small changes and things like that. But the stress data that has come out is so interesting. So, for instance, yeah. they took mice and they put them in a container where they couldn't get turned around. They're just trapped in this. If you ever had an MRI, yeah. they're trapped in this container, right? Okay. And then they injected their stomachs with breast cancer cells. The mice that were trapped in the container for two hours a day, their breast cancer cells went through the roof. Their tumor quadrupled. Mm -hmm. The mice that were just control mice allowed to r run around their cage, they didn't have, they had hardly had any growth at all. Wow. So, you know, and mice can't fake it, right? Right. They, they no. can't fake their stress. No. Right. Um, they did a similar experiment with melanoma and exercise. And so they gave half the mice a wheel and half the mice didn't have a wheel. The melanoma exploded if you didn't have a wheel. Wow. So the big question is why does that happen? So we have this thing in our body, these cells called natural killer cells. And they're like our policemen. Okay. So they should be out policing your body all the time. They should be out in your blood looking, making sure there's no bacteria, no cancer cells growing. But for some reason diet, whatever, Yeah, our policemen are in the donut shop. They're in the coffee. <laughs> They're lazy. They're not activated. We need them to be activated, right? What they found is that in these mice with the wheel, yeah. if they took away their natural killer cells, then they did the same. So what that means is that they, the exercise was activating their natural killer cells. The stress reduction was activating their natural killer cells. The natural killer cells were out there Policing. Policing. They weren't eating donuts. Right. Policing. So we have drugs called Updevo, yeah. Yervoy, yeah. Keytruda. Millions of billions of dollars spent in these drugs. You'll see commercials. Tonight when you go home, you'll see a commercial for them. They, what, they, what do they do? They activate natural killer cells. That's okay. what they do. Okay. They turn on our immune system to fight melanoma. So how can we do that without the drug? Hence, stress reduction. Stress reduction, meditation, cup therapy friends, 
you know, things like yeah. that. It's been shown touch, healing touch d- increases your natural killer cells. I'm writing a study right now for meditation. And, I and then- lo- so I really love the meditation piece. And mm-hmm. I've just started to get into that. Can you give us a couple stats on meditation? Yeah. The benefits, so, maybe. So meditation has been shown in breast cancer patients to turn up their natural killer cells no, no matter what. They start out with low natural killer cell activity. It goes up. We know it works. It turns on your immune system in a good way. Um, how much do you have to meditate? They did a study in teachers. The teachers that meditated five minutes versus 15 minutes for 10, 10 minutes a day had the same benefit as the 20 minute a day. Wow. So five minutes a day. Start I out can do with that. five minutes a day. I like Headspace. That's what my study is about. Can we use Headspace app? Because not everybody has, you know, access to a meditation-based stress reduction course, which right. is thousands of dollars, you know, in Palo Alto or San Diego or something yeah. like that. So I use Headspace. I love Headspace. I um, use that too. And there is some data that says that it does work. Um, not, maybe We don't know how well, but that's what we're trying to find out. So we were talking about Peloton. I right. think you were talking about... Mm-hmm. Were we talking about the same thing? Exercise. Yeah. They now have a meditation um, oh, really? app on there. So I've no been way. using that. Yeah. Yeah. No way. I'll have to check that out. I have yeah. a Peloton. Yeah. Yeah. So I just get off the bike. Yeah. Or some mornings when I don't have time yeah. for a ride, I'll just yeah. do a 10-minute meditation. Oh, that's amazing. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Because meditation is a great way to do things alone, right? Counseling has also been shown to double survival in breast cancer patients. So wow. counseling- going out to lunch with friends, stress reduction, right? I like meditation because it, d- it uses a lot of the thought modeling. So, yes, you want that Diet Coke, but, you know. Yeah, but I know. can sit through the discomfort Your thoughts are it. not real. Right. Your thoughts are not real. They'll go away. They're not going to hurt you. Yeah. Right? We so, had a previous podcaster. She talked about how the thoughts could be like a wave mm-hmm, washing up, mm-hmm. but it's going to go back out. It's going to go back you out. You just have if to you be patient. Through it. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I like meditation because that, that to me is a is a great thing. Um, exercise can increase your natural killer cells. So the Peloton, again, you don't need to do it for very long. Right. Just need to be consistent in doing it. And then, you know, obviously diet um, can do all those things. Okay. We haven't talked about alcohol. I mean, you and I talked about this before, but we haven't talked about this here. So the alcohol data is really mixed um, because a lot of the European studies – allow alcohol because that's a part of their social right right so there's you know there's data out there to say if you have one drink a day people who quit drinking actually live a shorter period of time but we think and we don't know this for a fact but that may be because they're less social right so maybe alcohol was their social activity and now they've they've you know become very introverted because of that yeah right so um Alcohol is definitely a toxin in, ex- in excessive amounts. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I really don't have – it's plant-based. Oh, <laughs> damn it. It's made out of grapes. Just <laughs> but it's – so, I mean, I think alcohol – I do think, I think the difference, alcohol though, is controversial. Yeah, controversial. and I do think the difference is if it's a glass of wine mm-hmm. versus three – Daily, right. you know, right. that's right. a big difference. Right, anything in excess right. is obviously, yeah. you know. I also heard this study on NPR, and I'm not going to begin with yeah. the data, but basically it said that um, people in nursing homes that had um, tighter communities with people mm-hmm. um, had less mm-hmm. medicines that were prescribed to them. Yeah, there's no doubt, there is no doubt the benefit of having close family and friends. I mean, that's been proven 
over and over again. Even in the little mice, the little mice that were, you yeah. know, they they put mice alone and then they allowed them to be with their mice babies. They're, they're, they're the people that are with their friends and babies, the little mice with their babies and their husbands and everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> Those mice had less cancer. I mean, the cancer growth. I mean, it, it's, it's, I know, but just it's crazy. Mice with their but, babies and their husbands. But mm-hmm. I like, <laughs> I like, I like the mice data because mice yes. can't fake it. No. Right? They can't. They can't fake their stress. They can't fake their desires and things like that. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, people out there, you know, don't like animal data, but it is so important for understanding these things that we can't objectively give to you. Because what's stressful for you may be, you know, stressful for you may not be not having a Diet Coke. For somebody else, that's not a stressful. Not a big deal. Yeah. Right. And and I'm striving to where when it's not going to be stressful for me. It will. It will come to that point. Two weeks. Two weeks more. Maybe six. All right. It'll come. It'll come. I know. I know. Any last minute comments? Yeah. I think think what people do is this is a journey. It's not going to happen overnight, right? I mean, I'm still struggling. I still think about it and read about it. And I'm, I'm constantly reading, constantly reading about, you know, what is this study and why does that make sense? White rice, brown rice. You know, quinoa. I mean, that's a whole nother topic, like red meat, steak versus pork versus fish versus no meat. You know, what is what are those answers? If you're an athlete, what are those answers? So I think that it is a journey that everybody has to take, you know, and, and, and it's so don't be too hard on yourself if, you know, if you can't do it all at once is the one thing. Yeah. And the second thing is, is that. For people who are going to try it, I'm going to go the opposite now. For people that are going to try it, um, you know, for the diet piece, for the meditation piece, start slowly. Exercise piece, obviously, start slowly. But for the diet piece, I've recommended to some people doing like a detox, like do a whole food plant-based for two weeks. Yeah. See how it makes you feel. Yeah. So I just said it was a journey. But just to kind of see if it makes you feel. My husband... He's an orthopedic surgeon, so he was having some back pain from being in surgery all day. I started to tell the guys this yeah. before the and maybe show. Maybe I shouldn't tell the whole no, story. No, tell the story because I yeah. didn't. I couldn't yeah. remember all details. Yeah, and so he's you know one of those kind of like orthopedics. You know, orthopedic surgery and surgery in general has this traditional kind of hardcore kind of image. You know, they want like data and things like that, right? And um, so we went out to dinner with Colin Campbell, and Colin Campbell's like, just try it. And he was talking to another surgeon of his, and he said, "He said, you know, when I go off my diet, my arthritis in my thumb comes back because they're using their hands so much. Yeah. So he tried it. And after two weeks, he had no back pain whatsoever. You're kidding. Nothing. He had no pain, like, whatsoever. So his goal was more pain related. Yes. My goal was never, I don't have that kind of stuff. That. That. So that's not my goal. So he tried it, and then, he, <laughs> then, then we went to Embers. Yes. Went to Embers, a steakhouse for people that don't know what it is. And he's like, I'm going to have a steak. He got all, you know, I'm going to have a steak. I'm, yeah. I'm, I deserve a steak, you know? And I said, so you can do whatever you want, dude. This is this is you, <laughs> so do it. So he did it and he felt awful, awful. Not yeah. fr- from the pain, but in terms of the gut. So I think I told you my husband, same thing. Next day, I will not say what steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's like, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, he woke up the next day and he's like, I have a hangover. I have right. a steak hangover. Right. Well, but the interesting thing about it is, why does that happen? That's the pathophysiologically, why does that happen? 
right? People are like, eh, that wasn't the steak. It was, you know, it's because your bacteria change. In two weeks, your bacteria change markedly. So they are the, the good bacteria are all there. They're not used to digesting steak. They're not used to getting this big load of toxin. And so that's why you feel systemically bad. And when I say systemically, I mean you get a headache. Some people get headaches. Some people get, you know, lightheaded. Some people get rashes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's because your bacteria are not used to that. And um, so now he very, I mean. Rarely. He, oh, my gosh. And when he does, he always regrets it. So, so it's a journey, not a destination. That's right. However, try to detox for two weeks. Right. If you're going to do the diet thing. Di for the diet for thing. For the diet. The other part, you can start slow. Start slow. But the diet thing, I would try doing a whole food plant-based diet for two weeks. Okay. And when I say whole food plant-based, that means the first two words are whole food. Right? So that means I say – I tell people no flour, no sugar. Yes. And then no meat, no dairy. Okay. For two weeks. Two weeks. So those four things. No flour, no sugar, no meat, no dairy. Um, and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. But I think it would it, – you, you see how it makes you feel and then you can slowly add things back and kind of see where you land at. I love it. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, it was really I fun. I think we're going to inspire so many people to – I hope so. Read more about this. Watch Forks Over Knives. Mm-hmm. And Try meditation for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Use Headspace. Yeah, use Headspace. I, I need to get money from Headspace. <laughs> yeah, you should. You totally I really, should. really. I'm yeah. like promoting them everywhere. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah. No, it was wonderful. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes. Anna Bulky, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 